Hello, welcome back to the Lemon Soccer Podcast. I'd like to thank everyone for all the support on the first episode with the NWSL and the second episode on Liga MX Femino. This episode's going to be a part two on the Liga MX Feminil episode, so if you did not listen to that one, you should go back and listen to it, or else this episode's going to be pretty confusing for you. So I'd like to thank everyone for their support on the first two episodes. It's been really meaningful to be able to get in touch with the listeners through the comment section. And I just wanted to thank everyone for the support before the episodes. And before we get into some of the questions for the viewers, I just wanted to remind you guys, if you're like, oh, I want to be involved in this, just leave a five-star review down below with a bunch of your women's soccer-related questions, and I'll answer some of them in the next episode. These are all out of random. I try and get as many from as many different people as possible, but, you know, it's obviously hard with the amount of viewers that we're getting. So I back it to the episode. Okay, so we had many different comments, but only a few that were in question form. A lot of them were just praising the podcast, which, again, I... Thank you guys for that, but I don't really know how to answer it in the episode. So the first question was from Jay Leonards, and it was about the NWSL episode. And she says, I am from the Boston area where soccer is very popular and the New England Revolution has risen in popularity. But why does Boston slash New England not have a women's team? This seems like a big miss for the region. Do you know if there's been discussions of starting one? Well... Thank you for the question, Jay Leonards, and I hope that you enjoyed the first episode of the podcast. So, there has been a Boston team in the past. It's just that they folded due to financial reasons, and I think that's the main reason why they don't have one anymore. It became the Washington Spirit, but I am going to do an episode on future NWSL expansion teams, so stay tuned for that one. Thank you for the question. Although, I'm just going to add quickly, just to give you guys a little preview of that expansion episode. It does look like, according to Grant Wall, the biggest teams that have a chance of getting an NWSL team does not include the Boston area, unfortunately, for you, Jay Leonard's, But... I do hope that they get one in the future. For me, though, I'm, I'll, I'll go on for this again more for the episode, but um, a source says that Gotham FC needs to be viable, become viable first before the NWSL would add a second team in the New York area. And I think that, you know, I'm a New Yorker. I don't know if I've mentioned that on the podcast yet, but, you know, I'm really hoping that there is another New York team. I love Gotham FC. I went to their game yesterday against the Washington Spirit. Great win for us. But I'm going to go into another episode about that. That That's going to be coming out tomorrow. So get excited for that one if you like the black and white. But yeah, I'm sorry, Jay Leonard's. I don't think that there is going to be a second you know, homecoming of the Boston NWSL team. But back to some more questions. I got one from Jasper Mayer. They were very enthusiastic. I really appreciate the 
extremely long comment about women's soccer. I'm I'm sorry, Jasper, but I'm only going to be able to go over a few um, just, you know, questions that you put in. So one of the ones that he wrote was, which team in the NWSL has done the most for the movement of equal pay and has the most notable players that have committed the most to change the gender pay cap? Well, first of all, Jasper, I would say the biggest player that stands out to me is Megan Rapinoe of the OL Reign. She has led so many equal pay campaigns, and I don't want to single one person out because everyone on the team has done so much, and I think that the U.S. Women's National Team has really driven equal pay, and a lot of those players happen to play in the NWSL, so I think it's more of a U.S. Women's National Team thing, but the players are definitely promoting the NWSL, but Megan just won that you know, kind of stands out. But to the gender pay gap thing, I mean, I'm not a bi- I don't want people to think, oh, I'm an Angel City fan. And Angel City isn't my most favorite team. I feel like a lot of NWSL fans could say that they kind of stole a, a little bit of the thunder of other NWSL teams. But I do think that Angel City's intentions are so good in, you know, the pay gap, the working conditions gap. I think that's a really big thing that this league is done expanding to markets with ownership groups such as Angel City. I'm going to do individual team episodes this summer like as a midway point assessment of everyone. So tune into that one, Jasper, if you want to learn a little bit more about Angel City. And the difference between European leagues and American women's soccer leagues as that was one of your other questions. I would say it's mainly tactically. The American Women's Soccer League is very fast-paced, physical, whereas in Europe it's much more technical, slow down, pass the ball, almost like it is on the men's side pretty much. I think it kind of shaded off in that way. I do think that's a big thing that is shown. And one more thing I, that you mentioned was, I do really wanted to mention this because I think it was an amazing question. Is it worth it to trade a strong veteran that is still in a good place, absolutely laying it out well for a few or one young player or players? I think that just for those people who may have been a little confused, I think what Jasper was saying is that like in the NWSO, is was it worth it for? I'm going to use this trade as an example for San Diego to trade for Alex Morgan, who's an older player, and give up, you know, 275k in allocation money. That's a lot of money in the NWSL. Plus, Angerhaw James, who's a great veteran. You know, she's still young, mind you. Like we've seen her play for Wales, but again, team preview episodes. Not really preview, but midway assessment episodes will come out. But just to answer that question, Jasper, I think, yes, in the NWSL, veteranship has been such a big driving force, especially considering that the league is, you know, kind of newish. If you compare it to some other women's sports leagues like the WNBA that's been around since the 90s, the NWSL is kind of like a new baby of women's soccer. Like, we've had these other women's leagues before the NWSL, like the WPS and the WSA, but I think that that is a reason why the NWSL is kind of newer, and I think that younger players, like a Trittany Rodman, have really helped make a stamp on the world and have people, like, look up, and I think 
that that's a big thing with younger players, but I think that it's really a mix. And I think that in that situation with the San Diego trade, a player like Alex Morgan is a franchise player that will help build your team from the ground up. And I think that that's why if you're like an expansion team in the NWSL, you need some leaders. It's your first season. It's a bunch of new players that probably never played together. So to answer your question, I think it really depends on the situation. But in general, I think that a lot of the veterans on the U.S. Women's National Team are really a great driving force to have in the NWSL. So I'm going to now answer one more question from the listeners. And I think that what I'm going to do is I'm going to post it separately from my Mexico episode. I'm just going to do a Mexico episode, um, which is going to be separate. That's also going to be going up either today or tomorrow. I'll see. If we can get 10 five-star reviews on this episode, I'll post it today. But I'm pretty sure I'll post it today anyway. So just listen to this Q&A episode. I think it'll be really interesting. I'm just going to take one more question and then I'm going to get to recording on the Mexico episode. So I'm going to take one more from Jasper. And he was talking about, can you talk? He, again, we I'm going to go more into Pacific NWSL teams and women's soccer teams in general in the future. So some of those questions I'll ignore for now. But one last question he asked is, how do the difference of aesthetics affect publicly about women's soccer compared to men's soccer? Because we see men's soccer representative much, much more on ads and other things. So is there a specific reason for that or why? I think it's just because sexism has been a part of not just sports, but our world for so long, Jasper, that I just think that, and this is just in general for all the listeners, I just think that women's soccer hasn't gotten the attention that it deserves. And I think we've seen when the attention is there, the quality's there. When players are getting forced to work numerous jobs for hours a day, and that's why I did my No More Side Hustles campaign, which I raised a a few thousand dollars for. I did that last year. I think that it just shows, like, the quality shows. If a player isn't happy, they're not going to play well. And that's the thing in men's soccer, and not to take any credit away from the male players, they work very hard. The women's players off the field have to just work so much harder because they get paid an absurd amount of money. And I mean that in a bad way. They get paid nada, like nothing. You could make much more, as Jess McDonald said in LFG, as a waitress. Like, that's how bad the NWSL wages are. I mean, obviously, the players like Megan Arpino and the NWSL make a lot of money. And the reason why, and I'm going to go into this more in a future NWSL episode, the NWSL is struggling with talent is because they don't pay their players enough. Overseas of Barcelona... I mean, Lyon, Chelsea, Arsenal, Man City. They play their players probably like 10, 20 times more. I mean, Salah's women's football aren't public, but I think that that's the main reason why a lot of the big U.S. women's national team players are leaving America. And that's like never happened before. The NWSL has never had any competition. And as I said in my NWSL episode, the NWSL has got to step it up. And I think that that's the reason why... In general, women's soccer doesn't get a lot of attention. It's just because men's soccer has been given a much better platform to be seen. Like, some women's soccer games in the NWSL are viewed on Twitch for free. 
the league makes nothing off that. I mean, that's just one example of how there's just such poor management and around the league. And I think European leagues have done such a much better job. The Champions League gets all their games streamed for free on YouTube all across the world. And the Women's Super League, If I mean, I have these just as a tip for European women's football fans. Ada Football gives all the big matches all across women's European football. And the FA player gives you every single women's match in England, except for the ones that are on Ada Football, which is only a few, like the biggest ones. So... I mean, those are two great streaming programs that are both free. And same with the Women's Champions League. Their program with the Daz on YouTube is great. There's a Chelsea documentary. Love it. Like, that's what we need more of women's football. We need to get the exposure first. And I think that that's the main way to get the talent, like, shown. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's why women's football just isn't out there enough. And that's a problem. And that's why if you're putting it out there for free, people are not going to... It's like almost forcing them to watch because if you're giving them this option for free, a lot of people are going to want to watch women's football. That's just a reality. And a lot of people wouldn't pay money for women's football now because it's not exposed enough. And I think that a lot of people are going to have like an aha moment once they watch it. And they have. I mean, the Women's Champions League final got over 4 million views, I believe, worldwide. I think it was like 3.6 million, some sources, some 4.6 million, some upwards of 10 million. So it was very varied. But point is, is women's football is sitting out there. And once that Daz deal for the Women's Champions League expires, I expect the Women's Super Champions League to get like an amazing TV deal worldwide and you're seeing that with the Women's Super League they got it I believe a multi hundred million pound deal with their Barclays Women's Super League so I think it's just in general women's football just is going to keep on growing it's like a tree we just need to have less vines stopping the growth. And I think that people are kind of breaking the barrier of, oh, women should go to the kitchen, they can't play sports, once people actually are understanding the whole philosophy of women's football. Again, I thank everyone for their questions. Thank you so much for listening to this Q&A segment. The Mexico episode will be coming right out. I'm going to go and record it right now for you guys. And thank you so much again for all your support on this podcast it's been amazing it's like a dream recording this so again thank you so much look out for the mexico episode and a bonus episode about the gotham washington game which i attended in person and got multiple autographs and selfies from some star players so tune into that those two episodes coming out this week and then another one this weekend on why women's soccer so tune into those three episodes you got your weekend planned at the women's soccer podcast thanks so much for watching and peace out from your host ldg